Have you ever heard somebody quote half a verse and sort of in, and where they where they stop and it sort of changes the meaning? Let me give you a really good example here. The wages of sin is death, and then just stop. But what's the next part of that? But the gift of God is eternal life. You know, that's one verse. It, it doesn't have a number in the middle of it, and you get to stop in the middle. The numbers are added a thousand years ago anyway, so they're not all that old, scripture-wise. Here's one. This one's a big one to me, and we're going to go back and forth a little bit to the prophets today because Jesus puts himself very firmly into the prophets. But this, one, this is the first place I understood the gospel really clearly in my life. This is from Ezekiel. I know you all went to Ezekiel looking for the gospel. Um, but right in, verse th- in chapter 36, I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and then pour a new spirit into you. But if you stop there, you think, ah, it's all done. The next verbs, verses go like this. And, and I will cause you to move and live in my decrees. Be careful to live in my decrees is sometimes translated. It's not just a new heart and a new spirit, but also the obedience that lives out of that. See how that changes that just a little bit? Wow, I got a new life. I'm all good. Oh, and be careful to live into that new life. Today, I'm going to, uh, Jesus quotes a scripture about the Jubilee year. Do you know what a Jubilee year is? How many of you know if I say Jubilee year, you have any idea what that is? But, okay. So I'll, I'll just move over here to this side of the room. That side's God. No, no, I'm kidding. So um, a Sabbath of sense. A Sabbath is a day of rest in, in a pattern. Yes? Seven, every seven days, the Sabbath. We follow those super strictly, don't we? Yeah. We're almost perfect at it. Well, in, in, the, Jewish, in the Jewish life, there was a Sabbath year for the land that every so often you were supposed to rotate the crops and give the land a Sabbath. We still do that. By the way, that's called a good farming practice. What's that? A crop rotation. Yes. But they called it a Sabbath for the land every seven years. And after seven of those, they were supposed to have a year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was literally everything's forgiven, debts are canceled, the land goes back to who it was. But that's a pretty big deal. I mean, we think of, well, I sold that land, it's not really ours anymore. But what if the land was a sign that you're a part of the kingdom of, of God's people and your, your family land was that possession that said, look, we're, we're part of God's people. That every 50 years, if you had lost that land because you'd blown it somewhere along the line or maybe you weren't a very good farmer or maybe you had a bad year as some farmers have, right? Sometimes you could be a really good farmer. I'm, I'm looking at... At at um, the Becky, because I know that she knows from the wheat stuff that sometimes really good farmers just have bad years, don't they? 
and they have a failed crop, and sometimes they lose land over that. But in Israel, a year of Jubilee meant that your family land reverted back. You'd sold it because you'd had to, to pay your debts, but God would forgive your debts, and your family would have a chance to have a future again. A year of Jubilee. And so Jesus quotes the scripture today, but where he stops the quote is a big deal because it's not where the people that were listening to the quote usually stopped it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So let's go to the text and then I'll move through that. This is from Luke 4, 14 and beyond. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled in the Holy Spirit's power, Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Now, just just as a way of saying... You know, this is chapter 61 in the scroll of Isaiah. It's not at the beginning. And you don't just turn a page and go, not that page, and just flip through a scroll. You, you roll and you unroll because it gets really long. And he, and he goes to the spot where it was. So there's, there's the spot where everybody gets to wait patiently while he finds it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he stops. Now this this bears some idea here because where you stop matters in this. But I'm going to go read you the same quote out of Isaiah. There's some neat things in the Hebrew in this text. One of the things that, that is sort of lost in the English, when you read the literal words of the beginning of the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, it literally reads, the Lord has anointed the Lord to preach the good news. I mean, it's literally the Lord anoints the Lord. It can only really be talking about Jesus in this way. To bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the Jubilee text. And the vengeance of our God is the next line. That's pretty much where they stopped reading. Because they wanted theirs, right? They're a land oppressed by the Romans. And the vengeance of our God. We want to be free, and we want the Romans to get it. But if, you st- but if you read just a little more, you know, there's a semicolon there at the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The vengeance of God here is going to be more than just the, pe- the bad people get theirs and then the others, but people will be comforted in that vengeance somehow. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. And it just keeps going and going. This is not a vengeance text, if you will, per se. But Jesus is putting himself in this line. Then he reads it this way. Then he continues in Luke. 
He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this day. What? All the captives are, are free? You're telling me that you're going to bind up the brokenhearted? But wait, you stopped at this moment with the vengeance of our God. You didn't quite read that part into it. And they're all amazed, and they say to him, in gracious words from his lips, but he said, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Remember, he grew up here. Do you know why a prophet is without honor in his own land? There's a couple of reasons. I, I know of this one. How many of you have ever been truthed by somebody? They just came up and just gave you the cold, hard truth. There was no love in them or anything. They just told you the truth, and they, just, and they were using it like a club to beat you down. Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever experienced it? Have you ever felt that? Okay, that's kind of what immature prophets are like. You know, you know why I say immature? is because they think the truth is the standard of everything in the whole world. But, the, but, but when they mature and they, and they grow up and the Spirit of the Lord fills them and they mature, they begin to learn that, that, it's, the, that it's the truth in love that matters. Right? It's not just, we just, we just love them. <laughs> or it's not just, we just truth them. You got to... It's both. You love them, and so you tell them the truth in a way. But the problem with that is, is that when they were young and immature, they went around truthing everybody nearby, and then, and then they became more mature and found out that they were loving. And one of the ways the prophet learns that, by the way, is to say they were sorry a lot. <laughs> right? You start to learn how to love people by going, I did that wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Later. But then people don't restore and forgive very well. And so when the prophet gets mature, then they've not been restored in their hometown, but they also remember all the things they did wrong. And, and when they were little kids and they scrubbed their knees and then they said bad things, to them. look, that's the way it is growing up in a hometown. But the other reason a prophet is not respected or honored in their hometown is this. Prophets come when there's a time of covenant unfaithfulness. I'm just letting you sink that in a little bit. Elijah didn't come because everything in Israel was peachy keen. Elijah came because Jezebel and Ahab were in charge and things weren't right. Oh, Elisha came because they still weren't right. Jeremiah came because they were about to be conquered by Babylon and things needed to be corrected. The, co the country was covenantly unfaithful. In other words, they weren't living in to the words of God. Or, or as I talked about this morning, as my heart overflows about when I'm, when I'm talking to this couple who, who's getting married and, and the words of this grace is starting to come out in them. And then, our, and then the church comes and acts out that stuff without me saying it. It's like, boom, off go the lights, right? The fireworks go off that they go, wow, the pastor really means that the church is this way. But that's not covenant unfaithfulness. That's covenant faithfulness that we do this. When we're covenantly unfaithful, we go, we need, we need our God to come and judge people. And we need to, and we need, we need to judge everybody's hair and you're not right. And, uh, 
and and then we become an unloving community, which is what kind of that's kind of what God was after. A community that could love and restore and take care of people and and as I read this morning, take the tenderest possible care until the healer comes. Until the healer comes, until Jesus comes, until the healer comes because did you figure this out yet? You're not the healer of nations. You might be a healer of sorts. You might, you might put Band-Aids on stuff and ointment on stuff, but you're not the healer of nations, are you? No, and so we take care until the healer comes. We're here to love and to care. But the prophet comes in a time of covenant unfaithfulness. And here's part of the reason was uh, everyone spoke well of him. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then, and then Jesus kind of knowing what they say, you got to be careful when, people, when people's words are in their mouths and when Jesus is around in the text. He said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in the hometown like those you did in Capernaum. In other words, our time has come. The prophet is from here. This is your hometown. We're going to get the best of everything. Make the Romans pay. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. This is Jesus' words. Certainly there were many needy widows in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon, by the way, where Jezebel's from, who was seen as the troubler of that time. And there were many lepers in, the, in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, but the only one healed was Naaman from, from Syria, Naaman. Now they know exactly what he's saying. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious, jumping up. They mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on the town on which the town was built, intending to push him over the cliff. This is, they knew exactly what he was saying. He said, look, there were a lot of people that had, had needs when these prophets were here. But the ones who got it were the ones that reached out for it. And they got all mad. He knew they were after. They wanted their turn. They're a backwater community, and they wanted their turn. But he passed right through them and went away because it was not his time. It's not his time mainly because you can't be a prophet in Israel and not die in Jerusalem because that's where they killed all the prophets. But prophets come in this way. And so Jesus' task is always, is almost like that of a doctor, okay? When you go to a doctor and you say, it hurts when I do this, and they say something other than don't do that. (laughs) They say, it hurts there, and then they start diagnosing the problem and offering the cure when the healer comes. That's pretty much what they have to do. Now, if you don't listen to them or you don't go to them, you can't, you can't expect to be healed, can you? I'm just waiting. No, okay. You're with me still? 
I haven't lost you completely. But if they give you the cure and you don't take it, what happens? Why did you go to the doctor? (laughs) So you go to the doctor, they diagnose the problem, and you do this. It's the same thing that goes on in the Property Brothers show on HGTV. Have you ever seen Property Brothers? How many of you have seen Property Brothers? There's some people in here. So they get this, this couple with a huge seeming budget. I, I said this in the first service. Where do people on these shows get $600,000 budgets? <laughs> I don't know where they get those budgets. But they have a shopping list, and it's always like they want 3,500 things or 35 things in this house, and it has to be perfect, and they want, you know, we want new cabinets because the old ones aren't right, and, and they keep going through. And then the Property Brothers, what they do is they take them to a house that fulfills their utmost wishes. But the problem is, is that house costs three times what they have. Or it's so far out of their budget, right? So they got 600000 but this house is a million two. I don't know where you get these million two homes. I know that in Vancouver, B.C., the average sale price of a home is $700,000. And that everybody rents their basement out to somebody else because that's how you have a house. <laughs> But what they're doing is they're taking that wish list and saying, you want this wish list, but you can't afford it. You have champagne taste and a beer budget. And so they've diagnosed the problem and they start administering the cure, which is to to adjust expectations. Jesus is doing that a little bit in this text. He's adjusting their expectations to this time where they they realize that if a prophet comes, that means that there's a problem in the land. In the same way as when I read Ezekiel, when the first time I read Ezekiel and I remembered that I was given a heart of flesh, that when I understood that I needed a heart of flesh, my heart was not flesh, it was stone. And that when I needed God's spirit in me, the problem wasn't that his spirit wasn't in me enough. It was that it was not in me. And then with that heart of flesh and that, that new spirit, then the ability to follow his decrees and live his ways was possible. Jesus is diagnosing this thing. Property brothers are then taking them through this house and they go, we love this house. This house is awesome. Yeah, but you can't afford this house. You can afford the one down the street that's really torn up with the water damage in it. Now, we'll fix that, but we're going to start where you can afford. We're going to start where you live. Jesus, starting where he lives, begins to point out that there's a problem in the land, and the problem in the land is is that they've read this text about restoration and forgiveness and read the last read a word right in there about it, about the year, uh, the day of our Lord's vengeance, and said, we're going to get ours, and the people we don't like are not going to get it. They're going to get something else. We want sunshine and lollipops, and they're getting prison bars and handcuffs. It'll be awesome. That's what they read. But the text doesn't stop at the day of vengeance of our God. It stops later on when beauty for ashes. 
proclaiming freedom to captives, binding up the brokenhearted, comforting the mourn those who mourn. But this, but then Jesus does this other thing. He says, "This, this has been proclaimed and fulfilled today." The liberty for the captives, binding up the broken hearts, that's, that's happening right now. And he's going to end up going to Golgotha, and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him. And I just want you to know that he knows that's going to happen, and that the freedom he's proclaiming is going to be given, the healing's available. But he was bruised for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. And in the meantime, just in case you missed that, that means that we have transgressions and that we have iniquities inside us, to use those big bad words. You've got ick somewhere in you. Did you know that? If you didn't know that, I'm sorry to be the one that broke the bad news. You've done stuff wrong. Yeah? Anybody here? You've not done stuff wrong. No. I'm sorry. Wrong audience. I'll take this some other time. No, you've done some things wrong in your life, and Jesus is here to proclaim that forgiveness is is being offered here, but it's not just forgiveness for, for the inside people. It's not just forgiveness for those that are in Israel or the people of God or the people in this church. What happens if forgiveness is offered to your worst enemy too? What if their hearts are broken and they need binding up and loving and caring too? There's there's a reason why he goes to the widow of Zarephath and Naaman. Because they were the worst enemies at the time. Lots of people were were lepers in the time, but only the enemy's general, the one who's got you subjected, was healed. What if the healing that's being offered is not just for you, but for all of mankind, and and that healing begins at Golgotha, where he's bruised for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. And the wrath of God is poured out on him. But as we continue to, we don't just stop at the wrath of God was poured out on him. In that text, that text continues to this spot that I just love in scriptures. One of the high points in scriptures when he, when, when the one who is bruised for our iniquities and wounded for our transgressions says, literally, when he looks upon what was accomplished by his grief, he is satisfied. When he looks upon the many children that have come and been healed and moved later on in Isaiah 53, he looks on it and he doesn't just go, I really, I really wish my people had welcomed in those outsiders there. No, he says, I've welcomed them in, I've healed them too. Can you look inside your hearts today for that spot and says, What if the person that's done me wrong needs forgiveness? What if we need to offer them travel mercies through this earth too? Enjoy the journey. God's with you. Come back safe and sound.
What if they're wounded and they're in the ER waiting room as well, just hoping for somebody to be tender and caring to them until the healer comes? This is a radical move in forgiveness from Jesus. What if it's not just the Israelites that he's after? What if it's not just the people that are in this room? What if it's the ones that have done us wrong? I'm going to stop there. I'm going to leave you a week to think about this, about this spot in your life, about the ones outside here that, that have done you wrong that might need forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your love, for your care, for the way that you've moved in our lives, for your words in my heart and soul. Help us be a forgiving people, a welcoming people that bind up the brokenhearted, that we don't stop reading the text in the spot where we like it, but we read the whole text so that your way can be had in us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.